This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. All of us have had to grow up and leave something. Probably not a cult. It might have been an unhealthy relationship or a drug habit. Maybe you just have a really strong sweet tooth. Leaving is incredibly difficult, but it is also completely life-changing. A fun fact that all cults share is that they reject the label cult. Even now, 16 years since I left, my parents will give me a list of reasons why the assembly was not a cult. So fine. It wasn't a cult. It was an evangelical, fundamentalist, non-denominational, religious fringe group whose charismatic leader could do whatever he wanted. But it wasn't a cult. Sure, we had some strange religious beliefs. Maybe we didn't exactly integrate into society with silly things like demanding careers. But it wasn't a cult because we had mainstream religious beliefs like God is all-present, God is all-knowing. We wanted to return to the simple life of the early Christians. My grandparents, George and Betty, were in charge. George was a fantastic public speaker, a charismatic leader, and an abusive, narcissistic, pathological liar. My father was an elder, and my mother was his wife. Cults don't want to be defined as a cult because it empowers its members to take a critical look at it. Language in cults is controlled because language is powerful. Cults are all-consuming. They don't allow their members to invest in a life outside of the group. I could have left the assembly by then. I was over 18. But in a cult, when you leave, you're shunned. And I wasn't ready to lose my family and my friends. Women, children, and people of color were second-class citizens in the assembly, to put it mildly. There was emotional and psychological abuse, but there was also physical abuse. When I was a young girl, I saw my uncle abusing my cousins, and I told my dad what I had seen. He told me he would take care of it, and the assembly did, by covering it up. Shortly after I graduated from college, I found out that my uncle's abuse had just continued the entire time. My grandparents had systematically covered it up, and my own parents and the leadership in the assembly had maintained a code of silence, trusting the Lord when nothing of substance had changed. It was time for me to leave. I could not be in a group that sacrificed women and children so that a few men could stay in charge. Staunch loyalty to any group is wrong if it means supporting an abusive, narcissistic, pathological liar. This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. You know, I would think that some of you at this moment would say, well, that young lady really had a raw deal. That isn't Christianity, and that isn't what our church teaches or does or practices. 
and that may be true. Yet some of the things that she shared are very pertinent to what we have seen in the body of Christ over the last decade or two. We have seen narcissistic leaders, pathological leaders, leaders who have abused congregations and individuals in those congregations. We have seen a lot of rigid religious practices that really don't reflect the teachings of the Bible, but yet give us a false sense of righteous holiness. And yet, we need to be honest with ourselves. How much of our church is cult-like in its practices, even in its beliefs? Now, that's not an indictment on the body of Christ or the bride of Christ, but it's honest. And when we have young ladies like you just heard come out of a, well, can we say a cult, we begin to say, aha, see, it was a cult. Yet, I think some of our churches, I've been a part of some of those churches that have reflected some of the things that she had to say. So this podcast today is not about criticizing the church. It's not about putting the church under the thumb of secularism or critical thinking, not at all. It's about perfecting what God has given to us and for us to be self-aware of the things that probably do not honor him and are not of him. And that takes a very courageous person, a very courageous spiritual person to be honest about what they see, experience, and are willing to take the step forward, the courage that it takes to say, enough. We need to really be Christ-like. We need to follow the Word of God. We need to be people of mercy and kindness and forgiveness and not be stuck in some sort of rigid religiosity that only harms people and doesn't bring any health. I want to thank you for joining us for the City Sites Podcast. We are bringing a bold statement about Christ. He's our only hope to face the darkness in our day. Thanks for joining us for the City Sites Podcast. In doing a blog the past five to six years, I realized a couple of things. Number one, I discovered that much of the Bible is about a warning. Even when the Bible is teaching, it is saying, here are God's standards and here is what happens if you don't do them. It is what good parenting is all about, right? I mean, here is what is expected of you, and if you fail to meet the requirements, you will not go out and play. Simple, right? Well, secondly, I discovered that there is some deviation to what is written in God's Word and what we practice. It is the reason I started this blog in the first place. I wanted to challenge the culture of the church and to re-examine its theology and its practice and to be more compliant in honoring God. So, today I'm going out on a limb, perhaps on a subject many will think that I have lost my mind. I assure you that I haven't. For some time, I have thought about what cults and how most of them start out with some truth, but it is only a portion of the whole truth. A cult will always leave something on the table of understanding that would bring the whole truth into focus. For example, let me define a cult. A relatively small group of people having religious beliefs or practices regarded by others as strange or sinister. Second definition is a misplaced or excessive admiration for a particular person or thing, a cult of personality surrounding leaders. 
Well, these beliefs or practices is what define a cult. And when Christianity started, many in Judaism considered it a cult because it went further in its beliefs than it was normal for their day. Today, Christianity has many strains, some more orthodox than others, but others are free to be expressive both in theology, they teach and practice what they employ. Well, I want to talk today about the cult-like emphasis in the modern church. I am concerned about the issues I see over the past decade in the church. That brings me to the conclusion that the modern church is cult-like in so many ways. So it brings me to ask the question, is Western Christianity bordering on being a cult? For example, some of the thoughts that have entered into my discovery and and study, have we lost biblical truth through compromise? Is the Bible primarily a document of instruction and warning? If so, why are our pulpits silent on the judgment of God? Why are we less likely to talk about the betrayal and persecution we will face in the last days? Why has prosperity been a major emphasis in the church? Why do we put up with the cult of personalities that have risen within the body? How much of the biblical truth is the message of Western pulpits? We have become so engrossed in our arguments from scriptures that we have failed to understand the spirit of the scriptures. Why is there little interest in discipleship according to the Bible? Well. That's a long list, isn't it, Chris? It sure is. That's the voice of Chris He, by the way. He is my guest today, and I figured on this kind of a list, there's no better expert or commentator or crazy person <laughs> along with me to address it. So, Chris Heeb, you're a Bible commentator. You've been in a Christian for, oh, I don't know how many. Thousand, 40, 40-some years. 40-some years. So you, you kind of know what's going on. So do you think in the stretch of the imagination, as I've painted today, are we somewhat cult-like in the church in the West? America is on the cusp of post-Christianity. There is a minority, a, a vocal minority, that is pushing for getting back to the Bible. Europe has been post-Christian for since basically World War II. Right. Post-Christian. But by the way, I'm from Europe originally, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of relatives and acquaintances from Europe, and they find our four-letter word fundamentalism is by far the most bizarre thing going. Wait a minute. You don't literally believe the Bible. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, if words have meaning. The problem is, as you know, in America, Larry, I think that so-called modern American church has sold out to entertainment entertainment entertaining your parishioner is probably the highest goal and part of that is try not to offend anybody when charles spurgeon said and in case you don't know who charles spurgeon was he was considered the greatest preacher of the 19th century but he said if you're not offending a third of the congregation at any given time you're not preaching hard enough well you know chris and and you and i both would agree on that but 
In today's economy, in today's churches, people are saying, hey, Chris, we got to get them in the door. We've got to be relevant enough to say, hey, you know, there's kind of like candy in the store. Come and get it. Right? I wonder just how much are we just too old fashioned to think that preaching hellfire and brimstone or even the strongest part of the truth of the gospel won't draw them in. So preachers have said, okay, what are we supposed to do? I'm just trying to paint a picture that what they would say. Well, you remember that song? I think Julie Andrews said, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. That's right, I can't sing. But it's really a bucket or a shovel full of sugar. You know, Larry, I have complained to you at nauseum. When I visit churches, I sit there in the pew, you know, to get a sense of where is this congregation at? And I'm so disappointed in the the hyper-modern churches where they're like almost everything is a concert. Special lighting, fog. You've been at the places. Mm. They got like fake fog or what is that? Uh, it's a it's a smoker machine. And the, everyone's hip. And it's all about the band. Okay, so let's just say that that's the trappings by which we get people in. Are you disappointed with the message? Because that's what's really important, right? Whether you have a smoke machine or lights and what, I mean, that's just the trappings. But the message, tell me what you're disappointed with the message. Well, you know, I've had this slogan for 20 some years about a happy meal. No, my kids have all graduated now, whatever, but I remember they lived for the Happy Meal. That's a, that's a McDonald's phrase, right? They get what they want. Mm-hmm. They won't take vitamins. We had to hide them. Just like your dog, you got to hide the stuff that's good for them in their food. I, I think, forgive me for saying so, I think the average congregation, the clergy's highest goal is to be liked. And if that is your highest goal, you cannot preach the truth because there's so many things in the Word that is unlikable. Well, what I've discovered that prophecy mostly is negative. It's a warning. It's a warning, which I'm not sure is real positive unless you see it in that light. It's very negative. So let me ask you this then, Chris. What makes a positive church for you? What would be an ideal church where you'd walk in and you'd have no complaints? I don't even think it exists. Well, let's just say it does. Let's just paint a a picture. I'm in my early, mid-60s. I'm really hardcore. But, you know, I did not come from a real Christian background. I mean, I really grew up in the 70s where it was Peace, Love, and Bobby Sherman, and do as you will. Do whatever makes you feel good. Now, I want to tell people in advance, I'm a sinner. I will take two to three pieces of pie if I can get them, right? I've been accused of being a glutton. I think as humans, we want to go the path of least resistance. And you told me a word around 20 years ago, nickels and noses, or a phrase, Nickels and noses, and that's where you do whatever you have to do to get the maximum amount of noses in the building to get the maximum amount of nickels. Now, I don't see that in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, Jesus, everything he said cut people to the quick. Either they were interested in repentance, 
and doing his will, or they rejected it. The people that rejected him wanted to kill him on a regular basis. Larry, I can't think of, I mean, there's very few today. Franklin Graham periodically will stick his neck out for the right reason. A lot of the controversial people that were like that are dead. I mean, they're long gone. Do you remember when Jerry Falwell was the most hated guy in America? When he died, there was major celebrating mm-hmm. that he was the guy calling America on the carpet. He was ultra mm-hmm. vocal. He never apologized for the word. I remember I wasn't saved yet when I first heard Jerry Falwell and I said, that guy's really hardcore. He's not my cup of tea. But I was an an unregenerate person. When I visit a church, I will grab two, three, four bulletins, and I will sit and try to absorb what they're trying to say. And first of all, the, the usually the message is very myopic, and it's just usually for them. They're 80 people or 150 people or whatever. And it's always, almost always, a positive message. And as you know, there is an individual that only does a ultra-positive message. As a matter of fact, he's out of Houston, Texas. He never, has never taught on sin, judgment, damnation, any kind of negative thing. And yet, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Now, I got to tell you, Larry, listening to modern pulpits, it's all green grass. It's all Dairy Queen. Right. Well, I want you to listen to a segment of what David Wilkerson, remember him? Oh. He had a sermon called The Gospel of Accommodation, and I want you to hear it now. And I see things that make me weep and break because of the blindness and the sloth and stupor that America is in, whether they want to hear it or not. The Lord always sends forth watchmen to warn. He always does. He never does anything till he warns. I don't want to speak to you tonight about the gospel of accommodation. Now, to accommodate means to adapt. It means to make suitable or acceptable. It also means to adjust, to make something very convenient. It means to yield to the desires of others to placate them. Now, you put that together, and I'm talking about a gospel that's been invented in hell and is now being propagated all of the United States. It's a suitable, acceptable, convenient, a gospel that has yielded to the desires and the weakness of sinful men. I call it the gospel of accommodation because it's adapting and adjusting the gospel to appease sinners. This gospel accommodation is primarily an American cultural invention to ease our lifestyle. It appeals primarily to white America, rich and prosperous. It was invented out of hell itself. This new gospel is sweeping the America and the nation. It's influencing ministers of every denomination. It's giving birth to mega churches. Some of the largest churches in the United States are involved in this gospel. It's a non-confronting, convenient gospel, adapted. It is spoon-fed to the congregation. This new gospel is being propagated by bright, young, intelligent, and talented ministers. It came upon a formula by which you can go into any city, in any town, and almost overnight build a megachurch. And as I understand this formula, 
You begin by going into the community with your workers and you poll the community to find out what the sinner found offensive about attending church. Well, why don't you attend church? And what was offensive about it? And what would, it, would we have to do to bring you back into the church? What would make you comfortable? What would you like to see? You don't like choirs? We'll do away with choirs. You, you, you don't like suits in church? You come the way you choose? Uh, just tell us what you want. And they survey the community and then sit in there with their computers and in their conference rooms and they design a program that will make it comfortable for the sinner and make it friendly for, they rather call it sinner friendly, they would call it seeker friendly and try to attract them to come into the house of God. The churches are run like corporations, the pastor's a CEO, chief executive officer. And it's big business, and this formula has now been cleverly packaged, and it is now being pushed in seminars all over the United States. It sounds good, what they say sounds very good, it sounds spiritual in its goals, it sounds like Jesus is the central theme. I'm not talking about the character of these men, I'm talking about the gospel that they preach. I am here to remind you that Paul the Apostle warned of the coming of another gospel which we have not preached. He said there is coming another gospel that's going to preach another Jesus. You'll hear his name. It'll sound sweet, but it's not the Jesus that I preach, Paul said. It's not the true Jesus. Paul was amazed. He said that you were so removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. Folks, listen to me. There is in the land right now with thousands of people sitting under another gospel, another Jesus, being preached by ministers who have lost the touch of God and been transformed into angels of light to common to deceive, if possible, even the elect of God. Okay, so, you know, we don't hear preaching like that anymore. He's really calling people into account that, look, if you're going to come to the gospel and you think everything's going to be rosy and there's never going to be any sacrifice or commitment or any of that, well, you're mistaken because that's exactly what the gospel is about, right? Now, we have to remind our audience that David Wilkerson was a fire and brimstone preacher, and he had a church at ground zero of New York City, the Times Square Church, where mm -hmm. they said no one could make it. Right. Right. Nobody could preach in downtown Sodom and Gomorrah and make it work. Well, mm -hmm. to the shock of everybody, he had a thriving ministry. Larry, I, I think that the real message of the scripture is to a remnant because our flesh is so strong in America. I mean, look at the people that are our celebrities or Correct. whatever. They do whatever they want. They got enough money to get out of trouble because they have millions of dollars for lawyers. They live a lifestyle of debauchery. I can't think of any of them. And if any of them get saved, let's say Kevin Sorbo or Tim Tebow or anybody else, they're considered pathetic. I don't know if you remember when Tim Tebow, which hopefully most of our audience has heard of, when he was traded from the Denver Broncos to the New York Jets, the talk shows in New York City went crazy and it was about Tim Tebow. Hmm. And half the calls were about we hate Tim Tebow represents the worst part of America. And the talk show hosts were flabbergasted. How could you hate this guy? He does a ton of positive works, per se. Do you remember? He's the first guy that used to kneel on the fields. Right. And they criticized him. We don't want him. He was criticized by owners and management because he lived an open 
repentant Christian lifestyle. I think to truly stand for the truth, you're going to become unpopular. I remember the old founder of Jews for Jesus, Moish Rosen, said, he pulled me aside early in ministry times, about 25, 30 years ago. He said, young man, how are you planning on reaching the lost? I said, well, you know, I'm going to be really nice to him and tell him that Jesus loves them and died for them. He goes, young man, let me tell you something. Until you're willing to be hated, despised, looked down upon for the truth, you'll never be effectual. I remember I was so bummed out, Larry. I couldn't believe it. I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be liked. And you know what? If you really preach the truth, I, almost everyone in the Bible that God ever used died a martyr. Prophets, you're right. R right. Look at the people. I mean, after the disciples were convinced of the resurrection, as far as I know, everyone died a martyr. The only one that survived was uh, John, the beloved, and he was uh, imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, and God was able to to use him and to write the revelation. It says of John, but it's really the revelation of Jesus, right? right? right. Now, Larry, how many congregations ever teach the book of Revelation? They say, well, I'm into escapism. I'd rather eat pie than shovel my driveway <laughs> or mow the lawn on a 100-degree day. But the reality is, until somebody knows, and I, I've done a fair amount of prison work, as you know, and I found from the prisoners, until they had enough time to look back on their life, you know, they were a captive audience, right? And they were convicted of being a sinner. Let's face it. I mean, that's what it really came down to. Mm. And I've told you many times, I would rather preach in prison than on a church on a Sunday morning, any day of the week, because you know what? The prisoners are leaning forward. The prisoners are sponges. The prisoners want to know the truth. When I'm in a typical church service, people are kicked back. You know, it's fairly comfortable. They're looking at the clock and, well, my, you know, I got to get home. The football game's on, mm -hmm. the, you know, the baseball game's on. I want to go, I'm going to go fishing. Sure. We live in a life of leisure, even though there's a lot of pressure now, but it's not the best environment to reach the comfortable. Chris, I want to come back for just a moment to that gospel of accommodation. The fact that you were talking about the messages in the church, and I did some investigation. It came across a portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 4, at the end of it, just before Jesus gets in the Sermon on the Mount. It, he describes his ministry. He says, I've come to preach the gospel of the kingdom, and I've come to bring healing. I mean, these are the two messages that Jesus was known for. I mean, the reason people followed him, Chris, was because he healed people. There was a productive evidence of his ministry where people saw that were blind and crippled, they walked. And people said, what is this man saying? It wasn't just that he was brilliant in his five or six points or 10 points of the Sermon on the Mount. No, he backed it up with evidence of faith. 
and, and they saw it. That's why the crowds went crazy. Well, the crowds today, we have the most eloquent preachers in the land. They can preach anything. They can preach their way out of a paper bag. But you know what they don't have? The evidence of faith, as Jesus did, in bringing healing to the masses. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily only physical or mental or emotional healing. There's healing of hope. And yet pastors are oftentimes, leaders, are arguing about what the scripture says about the rapture or this or that. And why not just preach the kingdom of God and bring healing and hope to people? What's wrong with that message? Well, Larry, that that message is a four-letter word. That's repentance. Now, Jesus said something pretty phenomenal. He mentioned that his cousin, John, Yochanan, on the immerser, the the Baptist, was the greatest preacher, greatest man ever born to a woman. Of course, he was excluding himself, right? Mm. What was amazing was John had an ultra-narrow message. It was almost one word. The Hebrew is teshuva. It's repentance. Mm -hmm. Repentance is a pretty powerful, elaborate word. Larry, I mean, repentance is not Dairy Queen and extra pie. It is evaluating yourself, evaluating your family, evaluating everything that you do and say. Now, we should make it clear, we fall short all the time. I was recently at the State Fair for an auto show event. What I loved about it was, is the unsaved were there. I mentioned I would much rather talk to an unsaved person than I would to a saved person because an unsaved person is, they're like, look at, I mean, my favorite ones are, let's cut this short. What do I got to do to get into heaven? Mm-hmm. What's, what do I do? And I said, boy, I mean, I feel like paying them because that's the ultimate question. It's repent and believe that Jesus died for your sins, rose from the dead. Mm-hmm. And if you believe that, you, you shall have eternal life. But here's the problem. Repentance would mean that you would have a conviction that you're a sinner. Right. Now, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but Larry, I don't hear the word sin or sinner very often. I would say the average best-selling books, the top 10, 20, 30 in the Christian world, at least in America, are self-help and feel good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or they're defending some sort of theological treatise like the rapture or some kind of emphasis on a specific doctrine. Right. And I mean, let's face it, we we have some ultra-controversial, woke cultural beliefs that God created more than male and female. Larry, I don't know about you, I would say less than 10% of the pulpits in America would risk, would dare challenge and take that belief because you would get some really negative feedback. Well, you know, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, he said there were three things he was going to do. He was going to convict of sin. He was going to convict of the righteousness of Christ. And he was going to convict of the fact that there is a judgment coming. And that brings conviction. That brings, hopefully, repentance. The ministry of the Holy Spirit isn't to make you feel good. It's to 
bring reality. He's to bring a reality check into your life. And that's not comfortable for most people because they don't want to analyze. I am really a sinner. I am really not the best husband or wife or, or, or child in the world. No, you're not. You've got some serious problems. And the Holy Spirit is there to help heal you, bring you to repentance, which would hopefully bring God's help and bring healing and so forth. We rarely have altar calls anymore in churches. We rarely talk about healing. We rarely talk about the Holy Spirit in terms of sin, the conviction of the righteousness of Christ, and the judgment of God. Those three is what Jesus said his job is. That's very true. I'd also say this, and I I heard about this last summer, and I'd almost never heard it done, that the Wednesday service was to go over in detail the Sunday sermon. I would say 80 to 90 percent of the people in the pew on Sunday forgot if they weren't prompted the message that they heard six days ago. Well, and the other side of that is, Chris, let's be honest, they have to have something worth discussing on Wednesday from Sunday morning. A lot of times there isn't a lot of meat or a lot of substance to what the preacher was talking about, right? Yeah, that's Especially for sure. out of a woke church. We are close to having our conversation end, Chris, and I want to just say that some of the things that happened before the Reformation happened in Europe is a lot like our church is today. We've deviated from the truth of the scriptures. And so I think we need to look at a new reformation, getting back to the scriptures, getting back to the simplicity of Christ, getting back to the simplicity of of living out a life that honors God, that honors each other, and stop this this cult of personality. That is not Christianity, Chris. You know that, and I know that, and we need to keep it simple. In fact, there are a lot of people right now, in fact, I just got an email from a gal who's attending a, a conference that's talking about the church has to decentralize. It has to become like guerrilla warfare in communities all over the United States. It's not about the big church over in the suburbs and over here. It's about little conversations that we have about Jesus where lives are transformed into disciples of Jesus Christ. That's very true. Now, I want to remind our audience that the ecclesia, what we translate as the church, we are the church individually. It's not a building or a structure. You don't go to church on Sunday. You are going to meet as a congregation, as an assembly, because you are the church. Once the people leave that building, there is no church present. I don't care if it's got 117 crosses. It's not a church. It's a meeting place. Larry, what you said, I don't see it happening. I feel our society prefers the wokeness. By the way, I'm one of those guys that reads the little signs on churches, okay? I'll tell you what I've seen over the last 10 years. It's gotten more liberal. There's more gay flags, the rainbow flag, flying in churches, Black Lives Matter. Uh, And I've had a lot of confrontations with BLM people. I said, let me get this straight. Black Lives Matter. I said, I'd agree, but my boss says all lives matter. And they go, well, well, okay. Uh, Who's your boss? Jesus Christ. Jesus died for all of us. He didn't die just for the black community. But I think that so many churches are pandering to the wokeness, to the media, 
we've lost the cultural battle the culture war we lost well i think you're probably right chris but i think that the soul of the church is what i think we're fighting for today the culture in many ways we have lost but i'm concerned about the soul of the church because if the church is doing what you said is happening when you're reading the signs and you're seeing the gay flags and all the the slogans that are going on in churches we're losing the soul because that is not the gospel that is not what Jesus Christ came to die for. It is not what the Holy Spirit is on earth and left on earth to minister. He's ministering to us about our sin. And every one of us has to come to grips with sin. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what denomination you are. I don't care if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or not, if you're Presbyterian or Catholic or Lutheran. doesn't matter because you still have to come to the cross as an individual and you have to admit you are a sinner and you have need of a Savior. You know, I'm in total agreement with that. I found out, Larry, I told you about a gentleman that I was asked to do an intervention on. He was a major alcoholic. And I met with him at a Perkins, I had a Bible, I had a devotional. And he told me, he goes, look at I'm not going to take any of that stuff. He was in his early 30s. I want to live my life, and my life, whatever that is, prefers to drink 24-7. About a year later, or 15 months later, I got another call. Well, he was dying on a deathbed. He was on in a, on a hospital bed in his home, and he was ready because he was totally broken. Larry, prison, you're usually totally broken. God sends people to timeouts all the time. He sends them to hospitals, you name it. People don't want to hear that, but that's the way it is. And you know what, Larry, what's so awesome? You don't have to hammer them. They know they are sinners, and now they're ready for the good news, which is the gospel. Tell me the good news, Chris. What's the good news? God sent his son to earth to explain to us, to show us how far removed we are from the ability to communicate or, or reach God. And by seeing Christ, by seeing his message, his life, death, and burial, and primarily is resurrection. We have hope. We get to exchange our rotten, sin-filled report card, and we get his. Larry, I had a lot of C's and D's and F's in my report card growing up. My report card before God now is an A+, only because of Christ. So if I hear a message from any of the national bestsellers that has anything to do with other than what Christ did for you in his blood, it's a lie. It's a cult. Nothing is more important in life than knowing God. No amount of money, fame, or success can ever compete with knowing Him. Our values are not in a system, a set of rules, or in the latest motivational book. Our values are in a person named Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.